0: Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is somebody who I incredibly admire, someone who I've known for a long time. Gary Acosta is an amazing leader, the founder of NAREP. Gary, thank you for being on the show. Welcome, brother. Hey, Michael. How are you, bro? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are
1: you doing today? I'm doing outstanding, man. It's, yeah. a, it's a good time. All
0: things being considered, uh, we're blessed. That's so true. It is so true. Listen, you you know, it's like you don't need any introduction. Everybody knows (laughs) who you are, but I want to start breaking down the different layers of Gary man. And we're going to go from the beginning. We're going to go pre nara So (laughs) you started like in mortgage and finance, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's how I got into this industry. Um, You know, mortgage is a lot like real estate. You know, if you ask a hundred people how they got into the industry, you're going to get a hundred different answers. And the same applied to me. You know, I studied, you know, uh, something different in college. I thought I was going to be an engineer. Um, Then I thought I want to be in business. And uh, I ended up, you know, having a friend that worked at a community bank. And he was having a lot of fun there. And he invited me to apply for a job. I ended up being a junior underwriter for a community bank. Um, I was just trying to kill time at that point in my life. Uh, But I saw that the people at the bank that were making all the fun were the salespeople. And I thought, how how do I get to that side of the building? And um, that's how I started my career in, in, uh, in the mortgage banking
0: industry. I love that. And listen, I, you know what? You grew up in Montebello, right? And yeah. you went to US, UCSD, and you played varsity basketball for Greg Popovich. That's crazy. Who's it's now my, of course a hall of fame coach, right? It's my sports claim to fame. It gives
1: me a little <laughs> bit of cred with my son and his friends, but it's a true story. Now, just to be clear, I actually played for Greg Popovich at Pomona college. Ah, and then, and, all right. And then I, I finished at UCSD, but, uh, but Pomona College, which is, uh, you know, just about 60 minutes away from Pomona yeah. Uh, I remember Greg Popovich, you know, calling my house and my mom answering the phone and, you know, being in my living room. And it is kind of surreal thinking back. But yeah, I played for the man.
0: You know what? You know what I want to ask you? What lessons did you learn back then with him that you still use today?
1: <laughs> well, for one thing, Greg Popovich was not John Wooden. He wasn't, uh, you know, this philosopher and this kind of life mentor. He was a ball busting coach, right? So you know, that's my <laughs> memory of ball Ballbuster, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that was my memory. But I will tell you this, and this is this is really true. Um, when I think back of those days, I don't think of you know, hey, you know, he taught me how to do this right, or you know, he taught me you know how to think this way. The thing that really resonates with me to this day is that we were playing division three basketball. Okay. He was the head coach of a division three basketball program in Southern California. We maybe got 500 people to the games. Right. But to Greg Popovich, we were Duke. Yeah. Right. He coached with that kind of intensity. He expected that kind of effort on our part. And that stuck with me, which is, you know, doesn't matter what stage you're on. If you treat it like it's a world-class st- stage, yep. you know, at some point you may get there. And, and, and I never forgot that, right? I, that always, you know, in re- I didn't appreciate it at the time, but in retrospect, I really, you know, admire that about
0: him. And you know what, just as an observer, though, since I've known you, Gary, that's how you actually sort of treat everything that you touch. And it really is like, this is, I don't care if there's four people in the room or yeah. four million people that's watching collectively. I'm going to make this the best show ever. And so, you know, it, it's sort of like that, that, whether you're conscious of that or not, that's how it sort of resonated it, it stuck as an audience with me. Member. It really did. Yeah.
1: yeah, it really did. It stuck with me for
0: sure. I love that. So tell me about NAREP, the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. You started it in January of 2000, right at the start of the millennium. And so, was that timing purposeful? And what were you trying to fill? What niche were you trying to fill in the market or in our industry? Well,
1: you know, first of all, the timing was luck. Um, and, and it was lucky because if you remember back to 2000, um, that's a census year. And yeah. that was the very first year that Latinos became the largest minority group in the United States. And so because of that, that was in the news and corporations and policymakers We're talking about that, the Latino factor, the Latino growth and all those things. So NAREP sort of starting around that time ended up being, you know, very fortunate uh, because it gave us some wind at our back, so to speak, back then. But, you know, what was I trying to solve? Um, You know, like all things, right? You think you see things from your own lens, right? So I was a small, um, you know, business owner. I had a mortgage brokerage. I was in my mid-30s and I had high aspirations for that. And I met this gentleman by the name of Ernie Reyes, who was 20 years older than me. He was a real estate broker. We did business together, uh, but he was kind of a sage, right? I mean, he was just this wise guy. And, you know, he um, had a really interesting political background. He was the chief of staff for Leon Panetta. Wow. When Panetta was a congressman. Yeah. And and as, as you know, uh, Panetta ended up being defense secretary and the director of the CIA and chief of staff of the White House, prolific political career. And Ernie and he you know, started their political careers together and were close friends. So he always had this sort of political mindset. And, um, you know, Ernie saw NARAP as a vehicle that could advance the Latino cause from a political standpoint. I saw it as, hey. I'm a I'm a Latino entrepreneur. I don't have the uncle that owns the community bank that can mentor me. Um, I need access. I need an ecosystem around me to help me build my business, to find access to mentorship or capital or whatever it is that I felt I needed to build my business. And for both those reasons, uh, Ernie and I ended up being a really great partnership Um, You know, and uh, the timing was right, and we got lucky, and we asked the question, if not us, then who? And all things kind of fell into place from there.
0: And, you know, and that probably brought me to my next question, and you probably partially answered it. Now you're at 40,000-plus members, over 100 chapters. And that Latino voice that you were talking about in 2000, where we became the majority, now you actually created an organization that represented the, the this, this, this group of people, of which were part of our community, in DC. So was that sort of the Ernie push early on? Did that happen organically or was that always part of the mission statement?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So there's no question Ernie saw the potential yeah. that NARAP could have from a political and a political advocacy standpoint. It didn't matter to me as much at the time, but I was interested in it. Now, what's interesting, Michael, is that when 2008 came around and the market collapsed and the world changed as we knew it, um, we decided to retreat from a political standpoint, our efforts politically, and become much more focused on providing business value to our members. Um, We knew at some point we'd come back to the political piece, but, you know, things were so crazy back then and people were just trying to survive. And, you know, we thought, you know, let's not get uh, too distracted by all the other things we want to accomplish. Let's be a source of business content and business mentorship and guidance to our members because that's what they need right now. And then maybe four or five years down the line, we'll revisit that. And that's kind of how it played out Um, back when you fast forward to 2014 and 2015. Then I started to see, OK, this organization is, is really starting to get some momentum. We have boots on the ground all over the United States in terms of districts and, you know, uh, you know, the different members of Congress that we could potentially influence and um, I ended up hiring some key people that ended up now really taking our political efforts to
0: to another level. Absolutely. And then, you know, the focus of NARAP' it's really interesting. It's also the fact that you've created mentorship programs, you've created these amazing leaders. And so the people who join NARAP join from what your vision was of how you started this, which is a resource of community, right? And so for someone coming into the industry, what would you say would be three things you would tell them that they need to do have to be successful?
1: Well, um, yeah, so, so certainly uh, find yourself a mentor, right? You know, be patient and really learn your craft um, and true, real skill sets associated with being assisted, uh, um, successful in this industry. And there's people who've already done it, you know, for the most part. And so that's number one. Uh, you know, number two is that, you know, nothing great comes overnight, right? You know, there's uh, there's there's patience that's involved and there's real work that's involved and things happen incrementally over time. Um, and then third is um, recognize that this is somewhat of a cyclical business, right? And there's going to be, you know, some great times and there's going to be some times that maybe aren't so great. So um, be resourceful, you know, uh, keep uh, keep yourself lean and save your money. That's that would it. be my, my, my advice. <laughs>
0: you know, and it's so funny because we... Elevate conversations also at NAREP. You know, I remember there was there was a panel that Leo Pareja, our dear friend, and I were on, and you know, we we were talking about you know what's your customer acquisition cost, and (laughs) we start sort of like creating this different dialogue because that's the space that you were doing for people, and then you wanted to really elevate, and I think that that's something that is so. True of what your vision has always been. And one of the most beautiful things that I think you've created has been the Hispanic Wealth Project, where the mission statement is to triple Hispanic wealth by 2024. That's that's a, that's an astounding sort of mission statement. That's amazing. Tell me about that, please, because that's extraordinary. Yeah,
1: it sounds uh, audacious when you, when you repeat it. But there is. I'm sure there is... <laughs> it was fine, right? <laughs> well, there's a story. There's a story like everything, right? There's a story behind it, right? So 2008 to 2012, I think, was um, you know a time of reflection for all of us in the industry. Um, and there were a lot of things that uh, we learned through that process. Um, one of the things I learned during that time, Michael, was that NARAP had to be more than just an organization where people got together and tried to find their next deal. Um, it had to be an organization that was about something bigger than that and something uh, more permanent than that. Um, and I had a conversation with a, a mutual friend of ours, Henry Cisneros, yes. um, and we were talking about a study that had just come out. This is, this is back in 2013, and it was done by Pew. And they had uh, estimated that Latinos had lost roughly two thirds of their median household wealth between 2008 and 2012, right? The Great Recession. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, we bought a lot of homes at the peak of the market. And when the market crashed, we lost a lot of that net worth. Um, and we weren't very um, diversified in, in the way we held our wealth as a, as a community. And we didn't have a lot of wealth to start with. So, you know, when it went, it went fast. Um, but in that conversation with Henry, um, I started to recognize that NARP was uniquely positioned to provide some leadership around the issue of wealth. For two reasons, you know, number one, you know, most families in this country uh, have most of their wealth in home equity, right? So we're an organization that's all about home ownership. So that makes sense. But for Latinos in particular, a secondary source of wealth is small business ownership. Yeah. So we're an organization that's about advancing home ownership and whose members are largely made up of small business owners, right? Because even an independent contractor is by definition, a small business owner. Right. So if you understand those two things, you think, OK, so NARP actually can be a, you know, a leader, uh, a, a source of guidance and, and, and really a source of understanding and recognition of, of what wealth is really all about in this country, Michael, because as you know, um, you know, the image of wealth is very different from what wealth really is Absolutely. truly all about. Right. We think about the things that we can buy and the things that we have. But what wealth is, is it's about freedom. And, and, and I like to say that wealth provides us and our families with the opportunity to live the life that we were destined to live. Right. And so, you know, that was just a massive sort of thing to wrap your head around. Um, and then I thought, OK, how do I convert this into action? And we put together, you know, a brain trust of people. And from that, we, we, we developed the Hispanic Wealth Project, created a blueprint. And I'll tell you, probably more than anything else that NARP has done over the last 20 years, that has galvanized our membership more than anything else. And it's been really great to see.
0: Well, it's amazing because you also gave that space for a conversation within our community, right? Because there's also a stigma attached to wealth yeah, in our community that really isn't talked about. That's right? right,
1: that's right. I mean, think about, you know, what word do we use for wealth in Spanish? right? I mean, there's not a pure uh, translation for the word, right? We think about it in terms of fortune and wealth. And, 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 and in Latin America, and I say this, you know, with a lot of reservation, but people who are wealthy are sometimes assumed to have acquired their wealth through some sort of you know, nefarious means, right? Yes. So it's not yes. always viewed as a positive thing. That's yes. so a mindset that we had to change early on and still are working on changing
0: today. And, and I think that's what's extraordinary because for people that are outside of our community, They won't even sort of like, what are you talking about? There's a sigma attached to wealth. (laughs) But there is, you know, you're supposed to sort of like, it's okay that you that you earn uh, so much, but don't go beyond that. Leave some at the table for someone else. And that's craziness.
1: Right, right. Right. I mean, it's the whole thought that it's a zero-sum game, right? Everything right. that I have is at the expense of somebody else. And yes. And and uh, you know, one of the one of the phrases that we tried to disseminate when we launched the Hispanic wealth project was something that we just called embrace wealth. Embrace yes. wealth, right? And we put it on hats and we I love the hats. Embrace wealth, right? <laughs> and so again, you know, kind of chipping away at that mindset was number one. And then number two is you know, um, starting to educate people about what wealth is all about. You know, I've had the chance to meet some really wealthy people, you know, through my various, you know, travels and and the circles that I've had the chance to walk through. And uh, I'll tell you, man, the people who really have wealth, they don't think about it the way, you know, most people do. All right. They have a very different mindset when it comes to what it means.
0: That's right. You know, and then your your other, inc- well, there's been so many incredible things, but the other thing has been the NAREP 10 which has become that, like, sort of like guideline, right? Like, here here are the guardrails. It's sort of like, here's what we do to move our community and our industry and elevate everyone as a group. And I think that was so powerful because you gave somebody a checklist, basically. How did that come up?
1: So uh, it came up a couple of different reasons. One, it was spawned from the Hispanic Wealth Project concept, right? So can we actually have some disciplines associated with that? But also, you know, people had pointed out to, uh, to me something that was lacking within the organization, and that was, you know, a true definition of what it meant to be a NARAP member, right? You know, uh, I'm a NARAP member. Why? Why am I part of this organization? Well, I support the mission. I get that. You know, we thought, okay, so, so putting it down on paper and really sort of memorializing what we thought it meant to be a NARAP member is what really inspired the NARAP 10 principles right? It's about mindset and acquiring a mature understanding of wealth and prosperity. It's certain disciplines about how to get from point A to point B. It's also having a well-rounded sort of experience and leadership position when it comes to being, you know, politics and being savvy in that regard. And, and of course, you know, taking time for your family and being philanthropic as well, right? When I think of wealth, I think philanthropy as something that goes hand in hand. Right. Because, you know, there's got to be a reason why we're aspiring for something great. Uh, And part of that reason has to be to be in a position to help people less fortunate than ourselves.
0: A hundred percent. It's all about that giving back because it's a circle. Yeah, absolutely. You have to give back. And if you're lucky enough to have, you have to make sure that others can actually sort of get there too and make that life more comfortable. So I love that because that's such a beautiful statement of what you sort of created and actually embodied in others, right? So it's that type of, of leadership. It's like you ignite the little sort of like light and it's just like, there's this amazing, beautiful sort of thing that happens from there.
1: One of your agents, Leo Robles, yeah. um, who was a, a, just a wonderful guy, just a great spirit. To be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as I was crafting the NARAP 10 principles, he came into the NARAP office for some reason. He was actually, I think, the chapter president of a, of a local chapter at the time. And I showed it to him and he said, you know, there's something missing here. And I said, tell me what it is. And he said, fitness, basically. And I said, tell me what you mean. Why does that fit? And, you know, if you know him, right, you know, he's a vegan and he's very sort of physically fit. And, you know, it's a big part of his life and what he what he's all about. And, you know, he said something to me that stuck with me also. He said, you know, I want to be able to recognize a NAREP member when they're walking across the street because Uh they're going to carry themselves in a certain way. They're going to look successful. They're going to look fit. And, you know, he described this image for me. And I said, you know, that's a really great point. Of course, what's all this for if we're not healthy, if we're not taking care of that? So I give Leo Robles credit for adding the you know, uh, the fitness portion of the NARP 10 principles because he was in the office that day and, you know, he made his case. And I thought that makes
0: a lot of sense. I love that. I never knew that part of it. That's yeah. a good backstory. I love that. Yeah, and he's right. True. He's and absolutely right. Yeah, you know, it's it's great. All right, now let's get to latitude. This is fantastic. It's like the Latin South by Southwest. it's sort of like it literally has become the Hispanic event in our in our community, in our industry. It's not even our industry because you hit a few industries. And that happened in, in a matter of just a few years. How did that happen so quickly? I mean, it's amazing uh-huh. what you've done. Well, you know,
1: for whatever reason, I think that I have been successful in terms of working with partners. Uh, you know, some people, and partnerships aren't easy, right? No. You know, You know, we've all done it. And, right. and, you know, there's definitely trade-offs when you're involved with a partner. But I've been very fortunate with partnerships. I've gotten and, and had the opportunity to work with great partners. And, and in this iteration of my career, my partner was uh, somebody by the name of Sol Trujillo, and um, it's funny the way uh, Sol and I connected. I had been thinking about something uh, that was sort of greater than NARUP. You know, NARUP was very you know focused on the housing market and advancing you know uh, home ownership and supporting the realtor community and so forth. But I really you know my passion at the end of the day is is the Latino community. You know, in a broader sense. And I started thinking about, can we take some of the things that we've learned and that we've done with NARAP and apply it to, a, to, to the broader economy and community and culture and so forth? Um, and Sol Trujillo has the unique distinction of being the first U.S.-born Latino to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. So he was the CEO of U.S. West back in the 90s, which would be the equivalent of being the CEO of Verizon today. Right. So it was a big deal. And he was in his early 40s when he got that job. Uh, He ended up being the CEO in two other major corporations, one in Australia and one in Europe. So he is the only person, not the only Latino, the only person to head three separate major corporations in three different continents. So he's a prolific guy and incredible things. He flies at a different level. You know, he watches Fox News and if he doesn't like something, he calls Rupert Murdoch and says, what the hell are you doing? You know, they, he, he lives that kind of life. Right. But he, um, you know, when he came back from Australia, um, you know, he he didn't like the narrative about Latinos in this country. It had gotten to a really sort of negative place and he decided he wanted to do something about it. So he started something called the Latino Donor Collaborative, which was all about creating uh, research and studies and sharing that with the leaders of major corporations and in the media in particular. And he invited me, I didn't know Saul, but I knew of him. He had stumbled on the NARAP state of Hispanic homeownership report. And he invited me to speak at one of his LDC convenings to present on that report. Um, and when I got there, Michael, right, this is a small convening at the Peninsula hotel in Beverly Hills, cool spot. Yeah, uh, But on stage before my session, was the chairman of Warner Brothers and the CEO of Fox Networks being interviewed by Saul? Wow. You know, and I thought, wait, wait what? This the I chairman the right of Warner <laughs> But what was even crazier was listening to Saul interview these guys. And he's talking to them and he's saying, you know, we just released a, a study this morning through the LDC that said that 27% of movie tickets in this country are sold to Latinos. Yet only two percent of the lead roles in your films are Latinos. And then he said, So tell me what's what I'm missing here. Are we doing something wrong or are you guys just really bad at your jobs? (laughs) I swear to God, that's what he said. And that your reaction was exactly my reaction when I I I was there. (laughs) I'd never seen anything like that. So at the break. Wait, how did they park. respond?
0: Don't keep me in suspense. How did no, they, they No, they
1: actually, you know, they actually knocked them on their heels and yeah. said, well, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's an issue we're looking at. And you know, they just wow. stumbled all over themselves. And, you know, they didn't say, Hey, you know, who are you? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you know that? I, you know, they they respect the guy because he comes from their sort of pedigree. he yeah. he flies in their circles. So he's able to get away with saying something like that, and he does it. And so, I introduced myself at the break to him, and I told him, I said, I have an idea I really want to share with you. And after the event, he invited me to his house, wow. and I talked to him about what Nara was, what we did, I assured him, showed him some photos and whatnot. And I said, here's what I think we're lacking, because what you said at your event was incredible. And the only problem was that we were a hundred people in the audience when there should have been 5,000 people in the audience. Yeah, That's exactly what I said to him. Yeah. And I yeah. said, I really think together we can we can do something that would be cool and amazing and really sort of advance this in a big way. And we spent a year, we spent a year sort of masterminding and brainstorming about it before we did the first Latitude event in 2018. And as you know, we had six Fortune 500 CEOs, we had JLo did a drop by, we had, you know, um, you know, top leaders. Yeah. It was really a great event. And it was a great start to something that I hope uh, goes on for
0: a long, long time. I think it's extraordinary what you've created. And that voice in different sectors, not just in the real estate sector, in politics and entertainment and what you're talking about, the conversation got elevated and that has been extraordinary what you've created with Soul and with and with Emilio Estefan. Now is your yeah. other partner. We
1: honored Emilio at the second event, yeah, um, because of his contributions and and the great leadership he's provided over the years. And he told Soul and I after the event, he says, "I have to be a part of this. You have to, you know, find a way for me to be a, a part of this in a big way." And uh, he said, "Hey, well, let's make it work." And, you know, he actually came in as a partner. He's an investor. He's, you know, he's all in. In fact, I'm going to see Emilio next week in Miami.
0: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Gary, you've actually done a lot now. Tell me the greatest (laughs) lesson you've ever learned in your career.
1: So, you know, I'll tell you, Michael, this is personal, right? Um, So, number one, um, you know, you don't want to peak too soon, you know. And and I say this to younger people, right, you know, who – you know, set these timelines for themselves. I want to be a millionaire by 30. I want to, I got to have this by that. And I think I admire that. And I admire the passion behind that, but you know, life comes at you at its own pace. So right? Awesome. And, and rather than setting artificial timelines uh, for yourself, what I've learned is be prepared, you know, make sure that when those opportunities come, that you're ready for them um, because they're going to come. They're going to come in ways that you couldn't imagine that they were going to come. Um, And if you are not prepared or you're in a position to where you're just not able to, you know, take advantage of a particular opportunity, uh, to me, that's a tragedy. So don't put false, uh, you know, uh, or what I call artificial deadlines for yourself, right? Focus on what you want to accomplish. Be laser focused on that, but be prepared for opportunities as they come.
0: I think that is so sage advice. I mean, that, that really is the secret, isn't it? It's sort of like be prepared for it, but don't put a timeline on it. I mean, right. that is so wise. So tell me what the next goal for Gary Apostol. <laughs> What's the next thing? So,
1: I mean, um, Michael, I would say that um, I'm on a path that I really enjoy right now. Yeah. And I really want to see Latitude, you know, uh, become everything that we think it can become. You know, the next South by Southwest, you know, on steroids potentially. So true. Um, But the thing um, is, I want to see, and I want NAREP and Latitude um, where Latinos can find um, mentors, um, where they can expand their vision in a way that, you know, maybe they never thought uh, they could, um, and that it becomes a very tangible marketplace where Latino businesses can come and uh, find access to whatever they need to achieve their goals and their dreams. For so long, as you know, we just haven't had those resources available to us. And, you know, other communities do, you know, and have, right? I mean, and some of them I admire a great deal for the fact that they have these networks and, you know, Saul likes to call them cabals and we need to create a Latino cabal. Uh, where the people who have means, who have, you know, accomplished great things um, are in a position to be able to mentor the next generation and uh, and have that generation see and do things that we never thought was possible. So it's a big dream. You know, it's a it's a little it's a
0: little esoteric, but, uh, you know, that's the way I think, brother. But it's a, it's You know, those big dreams is what sort of like got everything rolling 20 plus years ago. Right. With how you've changed our community in a big way. And so I have one final question for you. In your current book of life, what's this <laughs> chapter called? Uh,
1: what's this chapter called? Um, act three.
0: <laughs> don't get to be Shakespeare.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a new beginning. Uh, it's a okay. new start, right? It's my third new start, right? I'm I'm, uh, I'm mid fifties. And I, you know, meeting. there's always somebody out there who has done things that you haven't done. Right. Yeah. No matter where you are and what station you are in terms of your career, there's always somebody who's done more and who is, you know, and, and now I feel like a, I feel like I'm an intern again, working with Saul and Emilio uh, on this Latitude project, because, you know, these guys have just, you know, they've done things that only people can dream about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So act three. Act,
0: I like it. I like act three. It's, sort of like it's, good. it's a new beginning. It's a new chapter. It's sort of like you keep inventing and you do. Oh, my brother. Thank you so much for everything that you do literally in our industry and in our community. You are an amazing, amazing mentor. I love everything that I learned from you every single time. And I appreciate the time today, my brother.
1: And I'm proud of you, too, bro. Keep it going, man. Thank Keep up you. the great work. You're doing amazing stuff. Thank, thank you.
0: you Gary. I appreciate it. And thank you all, all of right. you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez.